Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Bill Hupp from Thistle and Rose Miniatures. And I'm rough enough. And yes, I am not dead, contrary to popular belief. It's been great to get back on the mic. And this is a, Bill, this is a podcast we've been talking about. Since Adepticon. And I'm finally, you know, we finally made it happen. I know you had a busy summer. I had a busy summer. So I'm super excited that uh, we're sitting down to have this chat. I really appreciate the opportunity to tell uh, the community more about uh, our miniatures and our and, and our plans uh, to do more with the Kings of War uh, community and Mantic. And hopefully this is uh, the start of, you know, some good uh, communication and uh, really enjoyed to meet some of the some of the people and catching up on on kind of the evolution of Kings of War, you know, since it's uh, since its beginning, and uh, uh, it's a, it, uh, I I, uh, I live in a really convenient place, you know, to be involved. Uh, I, I live a couple of miles away from where Adepticon is held. Oh wow! I'm even closer to where the battle bunker used to be, the old GW battle bunker mm-hmm. used to be. And uh, so I used to drag my kids over there and put on some games there and you know, mostly Lord of the Rings stuff. Yeah. And I assume with your background in historical war gaming, Little Wars, all that stuff that took place exactly. in Chicago is right in your backyard. Share us with us your gamer origin story. So for some reason, I was very attracted to toy soldiers right right from the get-go and, and no real explanation for that other than, you know, I really was was into that. My, my area that I really love is the American Civil War and... Uh, been involved in that for a long time, both from a preservation perspective and I did the reenacting thing, the roundtable thing. So that's kind of my my main thing from a from a uh, his, history and gaming perspective. But uh, since I retired, I've had a chance to really kind of just go broad, uh, both historically and and I've always uh, I found with my kids that the fantasy gaming is, is really attractive to them. So I've, I've I pursued that too. And in fact, I got it. I was always a big Lord of the Rings fan, read that when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. And uh, so at the very beginning, uh, I, I actually have an original copy of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, called Gary Gygax at his home <laughs> and, talk, <laughs> and talk to him to get directions to the horticultural hall back in the 1970s. And uh, managed to beg the car from my mom and, and, and go up to uh, Lake Geneva. Painted my first dwarf army before I was 20, uh, the old uh, Der Kriegspielers. And we were playing uh, using chain mail. And, I was going to ask. Other, I would assume that would rules. have been chain mail, right? Yeah. I haven't tracked down my copy of chain mail, but it's, it's somewhere in my vault of rules. I'm, a, I'm kind of a rules collector, too. Uh, but, um, yes, I've been, I've been at the uh, miniatures gaming for, for a long time. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and that and it kind of evolved uh, for me to, uh, to something that I was doing with my kids. I have six kids, four boys, and uh, so getting them into uh, and I dra- dragged them, dragged them and my and my, uh, my my very patient wife and, and and daughters to a lot of battlefields. We went to a lot of battlefields and uh, a lot of museums, and uh, so they were always uh, uh, you know, pretty interested in that in that stuff. So, uh, but they were always interested in the fantasy stuffs too. So. Um, 
you know, so I started branching out and we'd go to the, go to the battle bunker. We were not too far away from the battle bunker. So we'd go there and, uh, uh, and, uh, start, you know, and just, you know, we had, I, I still have my copy of battle masters and, 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 and a lot of these kind of foundational things that, that, that are part of the, the history of the, uh, of, of kind of war gaming. I ended up specializing, if you will, in the parent child games at the little wars convention. And, uh, I, I, I found that, I could teach seven-year-olds uh, and, and even some, sometimes younger kids how to play uh, Richard Borg's games, the uh, command and color systems. I've run all different types of games with that. And I also found that uh, my older kids had a hard time painting uh, when they were under 10, the smaller scale figures, but the 54 millimeter figures they could do all day. So uh, I, I kind of timed that with the rise of, of all the beautiful 54 millimeter figures coming in in the nineties uh, and, and, and got into that. So I was putting on these games with 54 millimeter figures. And, and of course that was very evocative to, uh, to all the gamers, my age who had grown up, you know, with all the play sets and all the rest of that. And, and so it was, uh, I just had good conversations with them. And I know I've spawned a number of people who now put on 54 millimeter games at the various conventions. And it's, the interesting thing is that the, the scale of the figures themselves does not prevent you from having, you know, a really good game and even a good historical game in terms in terms of having the the kind of feel and and, and teaching the things that I think uh, that the, the gaming uh, you know really it, it gives us the opportunity to do. So I would say that from a philosophical perspective, uh, particularly since I retired, I've been very interested in learning more about how games and hobbies teach people. And uh, I think this is such a great hobby because it uses so much of your imagination. And that's true on the historical side as much as it is on the uh, on the fantasy side. And uh, it turns out that they've discovered that mammals have a um, biological need for play. The, the need for play is, uh, is, is, is just part of our nature. And so this hobby really uh, allows you to, you know, to create and then play with your creations, and, and and then and then do it in a social setting and share it with others. So it's 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 very much it's very much of a, um, a of a virtuous circle in terms of how it of how it uh, one part of the one part of the hobby uh, reinforces and, and encourages other parts of it. And so it's it's something that I think really leads to you know kind of a lifelong joy. And, and you always have something that you're curious about. So feeding people's curiosity and their imaginations is, is an important part of, of living. And, and it's an opportunity that we have here in this country that I hopefully we're all feel blessed with. And, and now it's obviously something that's, that's, that's starting to, uh, to expand to the rest of the world. And so we really have a global hobby at this point. And it's still very UK-based. And they have the advantage of being geographically concentrated, but I think it's really a global hobby now, and and it doesn't seem like the language barriers are are too much. I saw some some recent conversation on on one of the uh, Kings of War Facebook pages, you know, where people were trying to see if they could get you know some more French language <laughs> materials, a French translated rule set. Yeah, and it's interesting because in the uh, in in the historical miniatures area in the ancients world, that's been where most of the tournament play has happened over time going back to the 1980s and so there's a there's a, a rule set called art de la guerre which is in the fourth with its fourth edition and actually actually a french based rule set uh, all these things obviously have have roots and, and they have game you know similar game mechanics and uh, 
That's the most popular Ancients rule set right now uh, on the tournament scene. What scale is that, Bill? So people play that game both in 15 millimeter and in 28 millimeter. In fact, as uh, the historical populate the historical gaming population ages, there, there's less and less of an emphasis on 15 millimeter figures rather than 28 millimeter figures, and 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 so the this one rose. We have a number of 15 millimeter lines, and, and you can kind of see that in the in the uh, decline in interest in in uh, in those. And again, you know, once people build their armies for the uh, for the periods that they're interested in, oftentimes you know then they don't build new armies uh, or they don't build them at the same rate because they're still trying to catch up and play with all the old armies. In fact, if anything, before the we started the formal part of the discussion, you had mentioned the the drive towards smaller games, and we see that very much on the historical side of things. The interesting thing there is that is that a lot of times people are getting figures out that they've painted armies that they put together one side, you know, or, or, or smaller armies. And, you know, we're just getting the armies out and using them finally. And people are getting a lot of joy out of that. And that's, that's a really nice thing to, to see that. So I think these, uh, so we play actually here, we play a lot of, uh, the Dan Mercy rules, lion rampant started out as and the dragon rampant. And now he's come out with these uh, space ones, Xenos Rampant. And uh, we haven't played that much here yet. But in terms of the quality of the writing, uh, Dan's a professional writer. I, I think Kala and, uh, and, uh, and, and Mercy have really, have really upped the writing in these rule books. And, and just in and of themselves, they're great models for you know, what, good, what a good rule set looks like in terms of both completeness and in terms of the quality of the writing. I do think that a lot of what I see in the Kings of War world and in the Armada world, uh, those are the two I've, I've spent some time in, mirrors very much this this kind of rising quality of, of rules where it's finally balanced between the rule sets themselves and the definitions of winning and losing, and then also the uh, scenarios. And there's you know there's there's a nice nice tight fit between those things, and they play tested them, and then there's a good feedback loop on it too. A lot to unpack there. So a couple of things that resonated with me, Bill, you kind of mentioned the way each piece of the hobby kind of interacts. We've always said it's a three-legged stool. Right. And so you've got one leg, which is the gaming piece, which is that competitive yep. fire. And then we got this, this sportsmanship or social aspect, which you need. And then there's this creative um, imagination hobby piece where you're building. And I think you said it more eloquently than I could. If you have any of those that are out of whack, then the stool falls over and you don't, you, you fall down. But when everything is balanced, it's a perfect situation. Daniel Mercy, Westphalia Miniatures, has a game that he wrote called Strong Sword, which is a, a, little, a little skirmish squad mm-hmm. on squad kind of thing with kobolds and uh, a lot of fun <laughs> that I've dabbled in in the past. But I know Daniel Mercy is very um, influential. His games are very well regarded. In terms of your historical background, I grew up in Michigan. It was all about the War of 1812 and the War of Independence because, you know, I, the forts are there. I mean, let's be honest. There's not many battlefields. No. It's changed now. They live in Memphis. Obviously, there's I have more access to uh, the Civil War stuff. It, what, what is the rule set of choice for you for Civil War today? I know it's probably changed 50 times in the last 30 years, but what are you playing today? Again, I think that trend to uh, simpler rule sets is there. Uh, so I think for the bigger battles, uh, we started playing uh, – Pretty regularly, a rule set called Gettysburg Soldiers, where each stand is a company, and uh, again, it's it's um, it's on the simpler end of the of the scale, uh, but you can run larger battles. And for us, it's we've assembled a nice little group here, a shop I've owned, I've opened up called Liberty Hobby Center. So that our group, we started out in uh, 
a gentleman named Ewer Jancy's basement and kind of grew from there. Now we uh, uh, play over here. That would be the bigger battles uh, that we that we do that are civil war battles. But it's been a while since we played uh, any civil war uh, battles. But um, but just Wednesday night we we had a game. You'll see some pictures up, I'm sure, uh, from it uh, from the Wednesday night's game. Ewer Jancy put on a game of his own game, which is uh, called Brother Against Brother. Uh, also known as BAB, and it's been out there for a while. This is his new updated version of it. So he was running it with 20 millimeter figures, you know, base three to a base. Usually he plays that. Usually he runs uh, that, that game system uses 28 millimeter figures on uh, on single bases, and uh, it's kind of like 10 figures in a company is, is kind of the norm for it. And then he was scaling it up to actually do a scenario from uh, Gettysburg, the Bliss Farm. Unfortunately, I couldn't I couldn't make that, but they had like eight players, and so we tend to have bigger games here, uh, and uh, and and so we've we've been able to adapt. Uh, Dan Mercy's rules actually have worked very well with some of the bigger bigger games. It's these British rule sets. You know, we love them and we hate them at the same time. You always want to tweak them. We never leave anything alone. <laughs> I think that's part of the historical gaming community, number one. But then. We're always pushing the rules to do different things, and so even before, uh, you know, some of the supplemental things had come out relative to, uh, you know, to uh, you know, using uh, the uh, line rampant rules for, say, sieges, we had already run a big uh, siege of uh, of Jerusalem game uh, using those rules, and I famously managed. I had I had some Byzantines uh, with some Greek fire, and I managed to uh, torch myself twice, which. Still gets still still gets talked about. <laughs> I, although I did eventually make it into the city, but uh, but uh, that was that was a beautiful set of terrain that we set up with the walls and everything that uh, that John Brust had collected over time. And so we had so much fun playing it. The uh, the Crusaders taking the the uh, the, the wall in Jerusalem from uh, the the uh, Saracens. We flipped it around and had the Saracens attack. <laughs> yeah, we probably we probably played that over over and over again over about a four or five month period of time. Uh, just kind of, you know, taking the scenario where it went that night and then finishing it and then uh, going from the other side. So um, at this point, since we've all been playing for a long time, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of terrain. So <laughs> and so the, I think a lot of times the terrain tends to uh, tends to drive uh, some of our games. I, I know I got we got a good reaction to the you had a big armada battle. Yeah, we had an armada battle. And then and then we flipped around and used it for a civil war battle, <laughs> you know, ironclads battle. Armada is an interesting an interesting game because I just pushed that forward to the group. Uh, we had tried a bunch of different naval uh, games and air games, and nothing was really sticking in terms of you know people really liking it. And uh, I had a lot of success with the uh, Wings of Glory, and we had played a bunch of the Sails of Glory game, and that really works well with kids. I've, I've run run a lot of games with kids for those. And um, in looking at the Armada at Armada and then and trying it at uh, I think I played demos of both Little Wars and and at um, and at Adepticon. The uh, the game itself and and just the nature of naval warfare is really tough to make those things very historically accurate. And right. there aren't a lot of naval battles in history when you look through it, because uh, because most of the time the the superior force scares off the, the you know the the weaker force. So it, it's not it's not those kind of battles are tough to, to set up in some kind of, uh, you know, uh, historical setting and find historical battles that are, are, are worth replaying. But a couple of the guys in the group had gone ahead and tried some of the other fleet games that were out there, uh, fantasy games. And I just thought the Mantic models were good. And the game itself, 
again, had good roots to it, you know, coming over from the Black Seas uh, rule set. And, uh, yeah, and people are really liking it. So, you know, so we're breaking the rules and <laughs> trying to figure out how to do how to do multiplayers and stuff like that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see uh, how. But it, so far, people are all collecting their navies and, and, uh, and painting them up and enjoying that. We, we've uh, we've been able to use the uh, STL files. We've got a p- couple people who are into the 3d printing. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're finding kind of the weaknesses of that process, but for, for the most part, it's, it's a great thing. I mean, it's a, it's a great deal. It's a, it's, it's, it's a fantastic way to, uh, you know, to build your navies and get those, um, you know, and, and have the models available. They were a little bit tough to track down even in, in the Chicago area uh, on the shelves of the stores. Right. So although the service from uh, from uh, from Mantic in the UK was very good. The best rule sets are the ones that kind of get out of your way and let you do what you want to do, right? The ones that aren't yeah. very, so formulaic. If I want to add an RPG element to this, let me do it. But give me the structure that I need to have a game. Yeah, so the uh, Evor's rule set, brother against brother, it, it's very much about it, it. It works very well historically, and, and it's held up for twenty five years, which is which says something about a rule set when people are still putting on convention games, you know, with your rule set. Um, so that's why we're encouraged. And 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 uh, somebody bought a copy of it online. I saw I, I, one of the forums. I saw somebody bought a copy for two hundred twenty five dollars. So I go, Evor, you got you got you got to reprint this thing, buddy. <laughs> you know. And, and capture that that's crazy but the interesting thing about it is he, he used a bunch of mechanics at the time that were new at the time and so he's got some morale cards and 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 the famous one is when somebody when the officer gets killed there's a thwack card and so when the thwack card comes out and so when a game system has within it kind of that flavor right built into the system itself i think that's really that, that really that really helps drive what everybody ends up talking about after they play the game, which is, which are those events that happen and those things that drive the narrative in the game. So, so I, I do think that Kings of War, even though it's a tournament game really does straddle, you know, straddle that dividing line between, you know, what would be a pure game like chess and, uh, and a game that's, that, that helps, you know, feed a narrative and kind of keep things interesting from, from that perspective. A good rule set has just enough of non-deterministic things yeah. to keep it interesting. It, th- that's what drives the cinematic moment, right? Is, you know, in Kings of War, the, the double ones, right? It's like, oh. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a dice game, but yeah. you need that foot in, I always got a chance, right? You always yeah. got a chance. I just got to roll boxcars here. One of the things that gets mentioned all the, you know, all the time when people are talking about the game is that it is clean. When you've played enough games in your life, you know what a clean game is right you you know you can have lots of additional stuff in there and and over time you get to you know understand it and know how to integrate it so even with even with games like lion rampant and dragon rampant um play a lot of we still haven't gone through all of the uh you know all the scenarios and and so that's where you can build in a lot of the flavor so Mm -hmm. we've got a line of 28 millimeter Elizabethan border reaver figures, which are very nice and, and, and unusual enough. So it's, it's a, I, in fact, I bought that line because I didn't know anything about that historical period. So instead of doing all the research and then buying the figures, I figured, well, I'll buy the figure line and then see, and then see how that works. And it's been great because I didn't even know I was 30% Scottish until like I started to do all the, <laughs> all the work on, on uh, Scotland and, uh, and, and the history in Scotland. So, but uh, that Pikeman's Lament is there is the version of of Mercy's Rules for for that period, and uh, it's a little that the rules themselves are for the 1600s, and this is just a little bit before the the late 1500s, 
And uh, so it's been interesting kind of working through that, but we've been playing a lot of that game. He does a nice, they do a nice job in that rule set of kind of moving it into that historical period, you know, where things are evolving more to where you would recognize the military today versus the military in the medieval period. So, and, uh, you know, the Kings of War actually stretches itself kind of into that period, I think. So, so our figures would be actually good figures to use for, you know, what in the GW world might have been an empire army. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 yeah, exactly. And in the Kings of War world might be more of a, a League of Rhodia uh, type army. So a good friend of mine that's passed away, Gavin Gossett, used to run NashCon. I remember one of the greatest games of English Civil War. He just took Kings of War and he just tweaked the rules and we had sure. a great game. I followed the threads and got the historical version of Kings of War at some point. So we'll see how, sure. how that goes yeah. in terms of... Because there definitely are, are there, it definitely would be uh, useful in some ways to use, you know, a universal rule set, you know, to bring yeah. people in, more people into the hobby. The historical Kings of War game was designed to give people the flavor of a historical war game, but it may not have, it's not crunchy enough, or it's not, it's not, it's not accurate enough for some people. But I always said, well, man, that's cool, you know. All right, I know it's in an, it's an anachronism, the fact that you may have samurais fighting Romans. I get that, but you know, DBA and some of those other games do that. I get where the hardcore historical folks might not go. Oh well, it's a little bit much. I get, I get that. Uh, but what is your take on it? Have you, have you, have you played Kings of War historical? I mean, it's basically Kings of War with a few tweaks. I have not yet, but you know the, you know we, we the the uh, again I I I I was on spent twenty years in public accounting and then I was a CFO for for twelve years and managed. Uh, a uh, group of accountants. And uh, so I know detail and I know detail oriented people. And now that, now that I've been, you know, selling miniatures for, you know, six plus years, I can tell you that our hobby has the most detailed oriented people ever. Yeah, that's a good way to phrase them. And, and it's, a, and it's an interesting combination of who we attract because, you know, it, it attracts those of us who might be oriented towards games and, and rules and kind of, you know, like the, like the dynamic of being able to use uh, the toys in that, in that way to come to some kind of a conclusion or, or tell a story uh, through the game itself. But we also have a lot of people who are from the creative side, you know, and so it's interesting how the, the you know, but both sides of, of, of you know, the, both types of people who would tend to be attracted are very detailed oriented. And on the hobby side, people want to do the kit bashing. They want to do adjusting it to their own view of things. And so, you know, one of the strengths I see in Kings of War and one of the tensions I think that Mantic is going to have going forward is, you know, they came out with this game that's figure agnostic and who could have anticipated that 3D printing was going to come along. And so in a way, you know, it's, it's, they seem to be taking a bold leap into things on the, uh, you know, in, in their STL program and more power to them because, you know, they're going to figure out all types of stuff. I, I was a CFO of a private equity firm, venture capital firm. And so I kind of know about, you know, the bleeding edge and people. <laughs> and so I, I think they're definitely taking some risks here, but there can be a lot of benefits to being the first one in there. And they've got a nice base that they're working from, I think, from a business perspective. So as, as, a, as a hobby business owner, you know, I, I definitely think that they're, you know, the, the, the GWs are up there, right? And the, and the Wizards of the Coast, and, 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 and mm-hmm. they, they operate at a, di- at a totally different level level as public companies. 
and, and with as much invested as they have and the resources that they have. And so if you're going to op- everybody else is kind of operating at, 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 a, at, a, at a little bit lower level. So I think you got to find what your strengths are and stick with them. And I think, um, I think this is definitely a, a, a good step for them to take and, and, and they'll be, they'll be innovating ahead of other people with this. And, uh, and I, I know, you know, I noted I'm on the uh, Facebook page for the, for the vault, right? Is that what, so we call it magic vault. Yeah. The magic vault. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I've told our guys who are, are, uh, you know, doing the, doing the 3d printing that, um, I think is Clive is very responsive to any, any comments that people make. And, you know, so it looks like having run, having run, a, I ran a, ran a help desk <laughs> back in the day when I was in grad school. And so when I see that kind of support, I think that's, I think that's excellent in terms of, uh, you know, kind of where they're driving things. So look, it look, it's, it, it, it's, there's definitely some risks involved in it, but, um, but, but ignoring them isn't going to make them go away either. So jumping right in there and participating and trying to figure out what the, what that business model looks like eventually, I think that's going to be, uh, I think it's interesting to watch and participate in. It's funny. Cause I think, uh, I, I think there is some subset of our community that doesn't acknowledge that, you know, we're talking about a less than 30 person company, right? It's, it's, right. it's small, right? I do think, though, collectively, we do acknowledge the, the risk that they're, they're taking, but we applaud them for it because I think that's, I mean, what else are they going to do? Sit around and become, it, it's like the turn of the century with horse and carriage. Like, what are you, just yeah. wait for the automobiles to put you out of business? I like that they're trying something. If it doesn't work, they'll pivot. I do think we're at a we're at kind of an inflection point, too. A lot of these trends that have been out there for a while are really kind of coming together. And I think the gaming industry itself, the board game industry and the miniature tabletop gaming, all that's kind of coming together. And uh, I retired in 2012. uh, And, um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I noticed was that the gaming industry itself was just below a billion dollars in size. A lot of it's driven by the licensed content, you know, and I know you're, I know you're interested in a number of those things that have licensed aspects to them. Uh, but it was just under a billion dollars, and when you get to be a billion, then you, then you're a real industry in, term, in terms of uh, economically. And it is glo- it is a global thing, and uh, and it's totally tied into the internet. And uh, it's just you know grown by leaps and bounds uh, since uh, 2013, 2014. So it's really interesting to see um, how innovative and creative companies deal with that. And so uh, and, and it's great to have you know somebody like Ronnie who's who's, uh, you know, fully, fully involved in it. Cause you know, the, the, one of the things that's come up in the kind of, I kind of dabble and watch what's going on in the D and D world. And it's kind of interesting there that they've got some people running, running that company now that really don't have any connection to the D and D community at all. Yeah. So some of the stuff that went on with their uh, OGL or what, yeah, their open gaming license and it's Hasbro in general, they've had some real missteps with magic and D and D it does make me scratch my head a little bit. Some of those decisions, some of those bigger companies, you know, when we talk about our industry, obviously we got games workshop, right. But you know, Asmodee is just right there too. I mean, they're bigger than games workshop. I mean, now that they're part of embracer group, I mean, they're, they're, they're ginormous and they obviously have the Disney license. So they're pumping out all kinds of star Wars stuff. You know, right below the surface, you got those small players like Mantic, like Warlord Games. It, it's nice to see some of those, se- I don't want to call them second tier, but just below the surface, those guys are trying some different things, right? And I think some of it's going to work, some of it's not going to work. It's such a broad category of things that people do, right? Of entertainment, right? And and edutainment and, and all those different terms they use to describe it. We really haven't had anything like this before. 
And so it is, it is new. And it'll be interesting to see, because you would imagine that, that there would be lots of opportunities for people to, uh, you know, to carve out, you know, creative businesses within that, within that growing, uh, you know, amount of, of, of business opportunity. And, um, uh, and, and the people that actually have some business acumen and can manage their cash flow and, uh, and the creative side, I think we'll, we'll be able to, you know, do all right. And, and, uh, again, uh, this comes through, I think, you know, from talking to the Mantic, you know, from hearing from the Mantic people in terms of their public facing statements, they, uh, they enjoy the hobby itself. So they're, they're happy to have a job where they can do this, you know? So for me, it's a retirement thing. So I can kind of, I don't. I don't have to feed any any kids with it, so it, 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 that makes a big big difference in terms of in terms of how I can I can spend more time doing the things that I'm interested in doing, and uh, so yeah, so and 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 really, I'm I'm just I'm doing it more because um, these figure lines that I that I managed to buy are all were all really good creations at the time, and and it's just you know trying to keep uh, you know good figures alive and and uh allow people to build new armies finish armies they had and and uh you know um play the games that uh that that they like to play one of the things i'm really interested in is obviously building communities and so i really want to kind of dive into uh the liberty hobby center that you've that you've set up and kind of give us a little background on what is it, it you know and kind of where the inspiration came from and kind of how it's evolved over the last few years. Well, obviously we'll get to, well, what games are you playing? But, you know, sure. give us a sense of, you know, I mean, this, this for all intents and purposes is your, is your local gaming club, right? Yeah. And again, I had, I had pretty much restricted my gaming to uh, playing games with my kids and then running these games at the local conventions uh, for parent-child games. And, uh, and I had a full-time job and I coached soccer for 23 years and, and, uh, and ran the local league for eight years. And so, um, but for me, this was being in the basement and, and, and having this hobby as something that I could use as a refresher and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, kind of get myself, you know, oriented. It's great to be able to put on some music and paint. I mean, it's, it's just even, even one of my sons who he, when he's not painting, He's like, I miss it. I got to get back to it, you know, because I think it really is one of those things for, uh, for people that is, uh, you know, kind of put you back in touch and kind of and kind of can anchor you as as an activity, uh, and uh, so so Liberty Hobby Center was something that I just kind of uh, stumbled across. I was I was actually uh, doing some work for a charity and um, looking for a place, and uh, I ha- it happened at Historicon to run across a group that was putting on a game and they all had, they all had on their shirts, uh, the uh, battle barn. And so outside of Williamsburg, Virginia, there was a group that met at a place called the battle barn and barn. And this guy had, uh, had a barn there. And on the first floor, they played, they played war games. And in the, uh, in the, uh, second floor, they had one thirty second scale, uh, slot cars <laughs> that were historically, <laughs> tied back to the 1960s and so uh so that so the the the, you know the combination of those things just kind of struck me as well that'd be kind of cool to do and and uh we didn't have anything like that in chicago and you know the a lot of the i'm I'm sure in memphis the, the the community is tied to the stores there and 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 uh we've got a couple of stores here that have been around for a while but uh but for the most part we don't have a lot of very successful stores at this point 
I feel like we're maybe in the same position. You know, I moved to Memphis in 20, 2005 and we had, we had a GW battle bunker. So that was yeah. a thing, but you know, locally until the last four or five years, we haven't really had stores that were like, they, they were going to make the investment and they were going to say, look, we're going to make this. This is the next, the, the next public space for you. Come play your game. Uh, we we did the thing for a long time where we we actually had a one of our club members. We you know we can, we were called ourselves the Blue Sea Brawlers, and we got everybody together. And one of the guys uh, worked for FedEx. He had a, a house with a big giant room in the back. We could put eight tables back there, and it was like it was like the most glorious thing. And so we did that for a long time. But at some point, we realized that it was we weren't growing. Nobody is going to come to some back alley. We did recently. I guess it would have been 2019, 20, yeah, twenty nineteen. A uh, friend here in town said, "All right, let's let's we're, we're going to make a store." Right. And Mike Horner set up a store, and then that been the impetus for a lot more growth. So it's funny we have a lot of parallels, you know. I think a lot of overlap in your story because I'm sure the same struggles of how do you build a community without a public space, right? There, there's yeah. a lot of things that are there. Um, I mean, there's also some advantages to not having a public space. You, you definitely there's definitely that the, the management of the of the people side of it is is uh can be difficult and 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 somewhat problematic but um you know and then things like covid happen and so you end up with disruptions in that but but we've actually we started out really guys who were gaming in evor's basement and then and then people we knew uh you know it's just kind of at the conventions and just you know running into in the stores and things like that and uh and so then since i i was really uh, I needed a space for some of the activities I was doing, uh, you know, post-retirement, including manufacturing the figures. And I was already renting space for a storage uh, for these 54 millimeter figures, which when you start to do armies, they take up a lot of room. And, uh, and uh, so uh, I just kind of come up with, I came up with a, a space that worked and, uh, and just happened to find it when I was doing some, again, some uh, looking for some space for a charity that uh, I was on the board of. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, I, I, the, the, you know, I get a little bit of help from, from folks, but, but for the most part, the other activities I'm doing kind of, kind of support the space. And so we've got board gamers on Thursday night, gaming on Wednesday night, gaming on Monday night, um, really not so much on the weekends, which is an interesting thing. Uh, it's, it's usually during the week. And, and uh, we started out hard charging and staying till 11 and then, and now we probably run simpler games and and uh, get out of there by 9:30 and whatever but having a place where you can game on a regular basis uh, makes you know makes a big difference in terms in terms of the ability to you know to uh, and and for, and for a while we were captivated by running all the big games you know which was which was a burden for the people running the games and now we're we're, we're probably doing more um, people organizing games that people want to play and then kind of trying to find times to do that. And, uh, but, you know, I think, I think about eight tables, we got, we got about eight or nine, six by four tables. And that's huge. And that's really as much as the space c- it can handle, you know, both from a social perspective and, and from a physical perspective. So you probably had the right size space, you know, uh, but you, but, but you want, but you want to put it someplace that's a little bit more, you know, uh, accessible, I guess. Accessible is a perfect word for it. Yeah. I mean, it worked. We ran tournaments there. It was great. It was a lot of fun. My wife loved it because all my right. stuff was there in, in the facility. Like I didn't have, but, and then once 
we transitioned to the store is like, well, it's all coming home now. So now I've got a garage full of terrain, but you've been at this a long time. How has community building changed over the years? Well, again, I've only really been doing it since 2014. So it's for me, it's, it's kind of a newer thing. And I just think that people are more interested in community building now than they ever have been. Uh, and it may just be that we've gotten to a critical mass. You can see when you compare the historical community uh, and the gaming community more broadly in the U.S. with the U.K., uh, because they've always had uh, they've they've always had the space problem, which pushes them more to the smaller scales. And but they've always had you know you can almost you can get to a convention in, in the UK almost every weekend, yeah. you know, and, and and just two hours away. So uh, so they've had a much more of a convention scene. Uh, and but a lot of those convention scenes they they have different types of conventions too. Ones where you go to play, one where you go to shop and just kind of you know watch other people watch clubs right. put on games. So they've had right. they've had a much more rich club scene. You know I think the U.S. it's it's much more people in their basements. It's it's just a geographical uh, situation as much as anything else. I've been about in the in, in the Civil War Roundtable movement uh, going back to the 1980s and. Uh, I was treasurer for the Salt Creek Roundtable, the Western Suburban Roundtable, for 13 years, and so I, I can I can look at that and see some of the numbers there in, in terms of the size of the group, and and even just the night that you know the day that we were meeting on Friday night used to be a, a night where people would have their meetings, but the traffic has just gotten to be so bad you can't hardly make it you know unless you start mm-hmm. like at three in the afternoon so people can't really come after work anymore. And, and, and kind of the social situations have just changed too. So they've recently, our local group just changed to Saturday and attendance is way up and we're meeting at a historical center versus, you know, the place that we had found that was free, uh, which was fine. And I mean, don't mean to downplay it anymore at, at all, but, you know, going to, you know, something that's a history place has probably been an advantage. And I can see that in terms of the stores too, right? I mean, you know, the, the stores have a much bigger incentive to bring people, right? I mean, there's really no incentive you know, for me to get people here other than, other than friends. So even though we're a decent sized group, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 40 range, you know, we probably don't, um, you know, people don't have a a reason to come here other than, other than to do the gaming. And so, and so, you know, people will game away from this, you know, the, the, the place too, which is, which is great. You know, they'll go out and game at games plus and the different, different game stores and such. What a great store. I've only been there a couple of times. When the first time I went in there, my eyes went really big because it was like the cavern of lost treasure. <laughs> like, I mean, they just had so much stuff that yeah. is some of it's like out of print, you know, and it was just like, holy shnikes, this was great. They have the advantage of being in business for a long time. So their inventory is just unbelievable. And they do a really good job of, um, you know, keeping their their stock of games and, and such. Uh, it, but over time, they haven't. They really can't. Um, they really can't uh, have very many historical miniatures there anymore, other than your battlefront, you know, uh, type of right. you know type of stuff that that supports the convention, you know, and, and the competitive style games, right? So, uh, uh, and, and, but they, I mean, they they have enough so that you can see what each of the different manufacturers has, and and they can do a decent job of keeping it in stock, but. The ability to get stuff online is just so great. It really makes it tough for for them to to, to live on that. They one, during COVID they did a great thing. They they, they pivoted as you mentioned before mm-hmm. and took one part of their store and just 
totally dedicated it to the hobby side in terms of paints and and uh, all the different brushes, all the different things to support that side of the hobby. I mean, you could just lose yourself for three hours in that aisle alone now because right. because they are so they are so well stocked. And I think I think that's the other the other side of this that we've really seen is is the rise in in the in the painting part of the culture and the only thing that doesn't really match up with those of us who've been doing this for a long time and do a rank and flank type game a battle level type game is that when i watch ninjan or somebody say i'm going to show you how to do speed painting you know his speed painting is one figure in two hours (laughs) like okay that's that's not really very helpful. The speed is a lot different, what you're looking for. Right. If you're doing a battle of Thermopylae. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, they're great techniques and all, but I think these, uh, I think really it's, it's nice to see uh, all the support that the, 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 that the larger hobby is getting with these contrast paints and the speed mm-hmm. paints. Uh, and, and you know, I think Kings, Kings of War and Mantic, they do a great job of, of kind of supporting the army building stuff. I haven't ever had a chance to really get into these slow growth things, but I think that's the, the promotion of those things and, and, uh, and just the pictures from the, uh, tournaments of all the armies. I mean, that, 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 that kind of eye candy is just, is just amazing. You were at Adepticon this year. That's that's where we met for the first time. Yeah. Had you seen Kings of War in person before, or was that the first time? No, no. I I had uh, we had run uh, uh, a turn some tournaments for a game called Triumph, which is a der- I want to say it's a derivative, but it's 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 in it's in the historical development, if you will, of the DBA game system. Now the gentleman is, is he from Flint? The guy that created that he's just on the team he's Rod. okay Rod i met him and that's I, yeah. I actually played a game of triumph like a demo game in nashcon a few years ago yeah. and he's Absolutely. the one that pointed out we were just talking about development he said you don't need the faithful they're already here it's all the unfaithful that you're trying to get here he he really opened my eyes to you know because i know he runs an event in it's called FlipCon, i think yes. in flint michigan so yep. great guy yeah he's a great guy and and so he's He's on the Triumph team, uh, which which those guys are all out of the Washington D.C. area, and they'd been they'd been probably the best um, support for the DBA game system itself, and had and run these great uh, campaign games uh, using again that, these basically fast play rules, right? With with twelve to eighteen elements, so you can actually play a game in an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. So you can structure a one-day tournament or one-day campaign, and so those—that's the real payoff in in that system. And you can play across all of history, which is nice too. So you can, you know, you can have you can play in a tournament on one night with uh, you know your Egyptians, uh, you know, versus the Sea Peoples, and then and then uh, you're doing medieval in the next tournament, and then for the campaign game, you, you know, you've got a uh, uh, you've got a, 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 a barbarian Gaul army, you know, and you can go and and, and uh, take on Romans and, you know, kill Caesar, that kind of thing. So a lot of the figures that Rod uses for his big historical games that he puts on, the the, the kind of the, the bigger Triumph games, a lot of those are our figures, our Thistle and Rose uh, figures, our, our Vendel historical figures. And, um, but anyway, the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the Triumph game itself uh, is, 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 is a great system. Uh, but again, the, the number of people that are exposed to it are, are relatively low. So one of the guys who was playing, one of the younger guys who was playing uh, in our Triumph games and had, and had learned the game system at one of the earlier Historicons where we demoed it, 
he was playing Kings of War. So I went over and and and, and got to see the whole cage thing at Nashcon, you know, the number one table up in the yes. cage thing. So yeah, I, was the TNT event. I was taking pictures of that and just uh and you know the, the, it was interesting to see people playing, but but again, uh right away uh I, I could tell people were very friendly and uh and uh and, and I enjoyed uh but 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 Nashcon is an interesting convention in terms of how it brings everybody everybody together and um so that was a good exposure for the first time i don't know how frequent this is you know the hmgs conventions i know seeds of augusta's doing it but like how many of those are really realizing that you know historical is a part of it but if you want more foot traffic and more people here you got you got to cater to what people want whether that's board games or if, if and so my, the, the, my partner in the Thistle and Rose uh, venture, which I also call TNR Miniatures because it's not just the, there, there's a Thistle and Rose figure line itself that we started with in 2014, but I, I really call it TNR Miniatures to, to take all the five or six different lines that we now, uh, we, we now make and sell. Uh, uh, he, he has five kids. I have six kids. And so we've seen in getting our own kids involved in the hobby, what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I was, I was minutes away from the battle bunker and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's nothing, no one can criticize GW for their ability to create a very attractive product that, that brings people into the hobby. And it's too bad that, that places like the battle bunker and their stores have all kind of you know, shrunk down so small. I mean, I guess, I guess it's just a, you know, it, it was just a cost and benefit type analysis that they had to do on that. But, but really um, they were super successful, I think, in terms of bringing people in and, and just walking into the store, uh, you know, at, at one of those events was just, uh, was just kind of amazing uh, in, in terms of their ability to, to promote the hobby. And, and, uh, and they, and they, and they just had some really great, uh, great people working at the store and uh my, my son who's my most uh my son jim who was who's game mastering uh star wars games at, at 11 <laughs> at, at little wars uh he's my most what, pro- what, what rule set was he using uh that's a good question he used a couple different rule sets i'd have to i'd have to think about that a little bit um but um Probably something fairly simplified, but um, he, he got to be Gandalf in a, in a big Helm's Deep thing that the people from the Battle Bunker put on at, at Little Wars. And uh, Gandalf was, you know, riding down and then, and then zapping everybody. And he was killing so many people. They took him aside and they said, hey, look, we're going to have to tone down Gandalf before he, <laughs> before he kills everybody. You know, That's awesome. In terms of the scenario. So, but, uh, but yeah, so he's, he's, he's into the painting and, and, uh, you know, he, he, he went, he went down the 40 K rabbit hole for a while. And, um, and, uh, I, I've not, I've not gone down that, uh, that rabbit hole at all, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, he, he, he really loves all the, all the gaming stuff. And, and, uh, uh, and so, um, he just, he just bought his first house and all that stuff. So, um, oh, you'll be gaming over there very soon. Uh, have a- we'll, we'll see. He did, he does have a gaming room and a, and, and a hobby space, but he, He's also picked up on a couple other hobbies, so you know he's got to he's got to fit it in with that and working and all the rest of that stuff. So, but but I think I, I think we I think Brian and I have uh, Brian Kasky is my partner in, in the Thistle and Rose venture, and 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 we both realize that that you know kids love to roll dice, you know, and so 
that, that's probably been the best thing about uh, being retired is is that I can explore these areas of what gets people interested in history and in gaming. And there's so much you can learn about math uh, and just logic from these games. It's a powerful tool that that uh, you know you, you hear about the word gamification. That's what that's what's happening in in a lot of the rest of the world. But we already sit on top of all of that knowledge, and, and so I'd like to see. Uh, you know, us as uh, game players and people experienced with this, you know, use it, use it to, you know, to help from an education standpoint, you know, you definitely see where these kind of games uh, engage people, you know, you don't have to worry about engagement. They're very engaged. If you have a good game and you you have a good game system and you start to see in Kings of War in the Dragon Rampant series, you know, in the Xenos Rampant, which is our latest one, you see how they're able to take and put together the whole package of things, good writing, good balance. And then, and then, you know, we just have this unbelievable uh, availability of, of very attractive figures. And then, you know, what we're really looking for, I think is this community and, and infrastructure to get people in and encourage people. And, uh, you know, so, and, and it's hard, it's hard when you have a competitive environment too, you gotta, you gotta balance the competition aspects with everything else. And so, I haven't experienced the tournament uh, scene yet for Kings of War, but uh, looking in and having had some experience doing that with uh, with kids and, and uh, soccer, it seems like you guys are doing a great job. The community is doing a great job of of, uh, of balancing that. And I guess a lot of the people that organized the conventions, Rob came over from Games Workshop and had done that. The Games Workshop world, the fantasy world. Yeah, we call it the Sundering back in 2015 when they killed off Warhammer Fantasy. Right when the Sundering happened, yeah, there was there was a, a critical mass of players that switched over. They wanted to continue to play ranks and flanks. And the tournament organizers, you guys call those guys TOs? Yeah, TOs, ter- tournament organizers, exactly right. That's that's one of the things I had posted up on uh, on Facebook that uh, yeah, it would be nice to have like a terminology thing for new people, even 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 old gamers here. Well, it's funny because you don't know the vernacular that you the shorthand that we've developed. Until someone right. doesn't know it and points it out to you. It's like I started a job uh, a few years ago and I came in. They have all these acronyms for everything. I'm like, guys, I need a cheat sheet. What does this mean? I have a son in the military and we're nowhere near as bad as the military in terms of everything having an acronym. But but we but like every other technical thing, you know, there's a lot of it out there. So um, so it would be and particularly when you guys get into the conversations you have about you know forming the armies and collecting the armies and then how to use them in the games. But well, that's very technical language and has a lot of a lot of little things to know. Sometimes it's a little a little bloviated in the sense that at the end of the day, I, I tell people just just have fun, right? It doesn't right. like uh, just have fun. But yeah, you, sometimes when you when you get to the people that are playing at a much higher level than I am, and they're using terms like Alpha Strike or MSU, right. it's like okay, right. I get it. I, I I understand fundamentally what you're saying. But I also understand there's people here that don't give a crap about any of that. They just want to put figures on the table and they want to they want a rule set that lets them tell a story. And, uh, you know, and, and to some degree, I think I think there's going to be a concerted effort. I mean, by me personally, but by a lot of people to just really push us back. You know, we're, we're in the Shadowed Horizons campaign right now with with Mantic's putting on where it is more about let's tell a story. Let's develop a collective story and, and let's push the the narrative for the for Panathor forward. The tournaments that's what a lot of people see, right? And so that's it takes it takes a lot of people's attention. But there's a lot more to Kings of War than just the tournaments. But you know, maybe share with the audience 
you went to Adepticon, what did you see there? Because, I mean, that was a 40-plus player event, so it's a good size event. Yeah, so, again, be, being blessed with Adepticon in, in my backyard, uh, I had run some, I had actually run some DBA tournaments there uh, back in the day, and uh, obviously Adepticon continues to grow, and now the historical guys are over in a different a different area. So I think some of what you mentioned in terms of recognizing the need to come together as a bigger community and that the younger players have a foot in both worlds, and even some of us old guys have a foot in both worlds, right? And and so, I mean, I, I find that, um, you know, I'm spending a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, later in life I figured out that the 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 joy of reading the Silmarillion when I when I had time and, and and could kind of piece that together and so for me the fantasy world right now is really just as attractive as the historical world in, in terms of, in terms of seeing how that goes and in fact our figures are very much oriented towards the uh, the Lord of the Rings books that's what they were really created for so um, the uh, so it fits in with with what I'm trying to do on on the business side too in terms of understanding how to uh, fit our figures in you know for people's gaming interests and and um, so anyway, so I went to Adepticon really to check out the convention scene there and to meet some people and to look at the armies and kind of see how that all came together. There's only so much you can kind of figure out from listening to the podcast and watching the games being played and such. So uh, what immediately struck me when I sat down was. Uh, what was was how uh, welcoming the community was. It was almost like people were competing, you know, to be, to nice. be nice. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and explain their armies and explain what was happening, you know, all the way down, and including the, the the guy who was trying to keep track of and organize uh, the the the, uh, the tournament. He was mm-hmm. having some trouble with the software, but that but that yeah. didn't put him in a bad mood. He was still explaining nope. things to me, and and so yep. I I just thought it was really uh you know kind of above way above average in terms of in terms of the experience that I was witnessing people have. And I came back the second day to watch and and uh, mm-hmm. just but just seeing the armies because there is so much creativity and because the rules are just a structure around which people can build their armies. I got so many ideas just from looking at those, you know, and, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's a little overwhelming, you know, for example, scorch wings, I don't know what a scorch, I still don't really know what a scorch wing is. I know it shoots somehow. It's, it's kind of one of those annoying units right now for people in terms of how many they have and all the rest of that. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but in terms of whether I want them or whether I think that, that, you know, it's a good thing or not, I, it's hard for me to, you know, kind of follow that part of it. But, but, um, but again, it's 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 you know this hobby is kind of an immersive hobby, right? And so you have to just kind of find ways to get into it. And the more ways that that uh, that the Mantic and the Kings of War community can build, the better it is. And, and I definitely had a great um, experience, and you know took down some names, and now I'm seeing some of those names crop up, you know, in the community itself. And uh, but I've got plenty of ideas in terms of you know, some of the Mantic armies, some of the Kings of War armies that I want to, uh, you know, that I want to build. And and your uh, Salamander army was, was way cool. Oh, thanks. Very, very nicely based. And you can really see the, you know, you really executed well, I think, on the whole, uh, here's the pr- presentation model. And then here's how all the, all the figures come off. You know, I, th- I think having now uh, seen the Kings of War community at NashCon, and then at Adepticon, I, I really do think it it it, it is an, it, it's an attractive community, and you know the people that are playing the game present very well. And and I think the uh, the idea of having a best of the rest type of thing, and some of the less competitive less competitive oriented tournaments, and 
just the idea of, of pushing forward, you know, counter charge as the, uh, you know, as, as, as kind of the middle of the pack. There's just so many healthy things happening there, you know, from my perspective, you know, having, you know, kept kids involved in sports and, and then, you know, playing games with kids and getting people to be motivated. Uh, I think there's just a lot of really good stuff uh, happening there. So again, we're, we here at the club are looking forward to playing, you know, uh, more of, of the game. There's a couple of younger guys who are more GW, probably more GW oriented in their, in their introduction to the, uh, to the hobby. And so they're, they're excited too. And some of them are bringing back some of their old GW models. And, and so we're going through the process of trying to figure out, you know, how to, you know, how to build the armies and, and, and try them all out. There's certainly a lot of them to, to try out. Outside of the historical stuff, have you done a lot of ranks and flanks fantasy gaming? Well, to be honest, I think I think all of my fantasy gaming has been pretty much, you know, a, a standard big battle type of, you know, type right. of okay. game. And, you know, whether it was chain mail or the smaller skirmish level games, even, even a game like uh, Dragon Rampant is actually kind of a larger skirmish type, you know, type game. And, uh, and so at, uh, the aforementioned Flint con last year, I ran a couple dragon rampant games of, um, uh, dwarves, uh, you know, defending a pass in the mountains from a bunch of goblins. And so, uh, that those games went, went very well. And, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, the Kings of War brings some of the elements that you can do in a skirmish game forward with some of the heroes and some of the wizards and things like that. And so fantasy has that ability to do, you know, kind of more across things maybe than historical does in, in terms of being able to have individual units or, or um, you know, kind of character type things. Regiments of renown or something like that. Yeah. How does someone become crazy enough that they want to have their own miniature company? Because I always wonder, like, what goes through a gamer's head to go, you know, it's a good idea. I think I'm going to make this a side hustle. Talk to a few of folks, uh, Skull and Crown, Westphalia Miniatures. Yeah. So give us a sense of where did the impetus come from? Yeah, I think almost everybody in the hobby uh, is oriented towards understanding things from soup to nuts. You know, they like the they like the idea from, you know, where where is the concept of this? And how, and how does it get to it an actual model itself? My son, uh, the, the, the hobby related son, Jim, he loves, he loves to just kit bash, you know? And so he, he's had a bit box right from, right from the start. And so, you know, I, I think how a miniature gets created and, you know, uh, why certain, you know, it's, it goes, goes, goes back to why are certain things available and certain things not available. When I was doing the 54 millimeter figures, a lot of times I would go ahead and I would have to create something and it's all plastic, so it's fairly easy to chop it up and glue it together, and, uh, and you know, and come up with with a uh, with you know, t- take a an American Indian and create a Nubian, for example, for uh, Punic Wars type of type of battle. Uh, so I think I think that that's kind of inherently in in the hobby itself. You know, it was one of those crazy conversations. Uh, Brian and I were in my basement, and we're trying to figure out what do we do with all these unpainted figures that we have. You know, I, I had about a th- I had about seven hundred of them here, about a thousand of these Thistle and Rose figures, and they hadn't been in production for you know ten plus years. And uh, and and he just said, "I wonder what happened to them. I wonder if, if there's any way to get some more of these, or if we should just you know go ahead and sell these and you know the flea market type thing." And so I said, "Well." I could try to fi- I could try to find out, and so it turns out on TMP, one of the services that the historical gamers you know can find information on, there was a, a, an advertisement the owner Jamie Fish had put up a thing saying, "Yeah, they're for sale," and uh, 
I contacted him, didn't hear back from him for a month and heard back from him. And, 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 uh, you know, he, 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 he said this much. And I said, sure. And, uh, <laughs> and everything's kind of, kind of went from there. The lines I've been buying more recently have still been in production and, and have been in better shape, but that one had been totally mothballed. And so that took a while to kind of figure out what was going on with it. But, uh, but yeah, we've learned the whole manufacturing process. And, and the one secret I will tell you, which does not necessarily apply to Mantic, but you can kind of see it in the, uh, in, in, in the drive towards uh, 3D printing and printing on demand, is that most manufacturers are casting on demand. You know, when you send, and I'm just honest about it, when you send me an order, I say, okay, you know, I'll, I will let you know in a day, you know, what it'll take to cast that up and, and, and when you'll have it available. And, and most people are perfectly reasonable about, about waiting. And so I think, you know, we're so used to immediate satisfaction, you know, uh, Amazon delivering something the next day, you know, type of thing. And, uh, but actually, if you look back in, in some of your books, you'll be able to see that they are printing them on demand. You can actually see that, you know, if, if in Chicago, in the Chicago area, the uh, Amazon prints them in Moni, Illinois, and you can look in the back of the book and you can kind of see <laughs> that they funny. just printed it up like a month ago, you know, so, or a day ago or whatever. So, so everything is moving towards, you know, on demand. And so that's really, that's really kind of the secret that I didn't know that I now know. And, and it's, it's, but it's been a fun, it's been a fun process to learn. It's taken me a while because the creation of the molds themselves is a process and different people follow different processes and so when you run the molds, you just have to be sensitive to how the process was created, how much pressure you need to put on. And, and uh, the molds do deteriorate over time, but very rarely do the whole molds deteriorate. It's usually just a, just a figure at a time, you know, in, in the actual uh, slot itself. So, um, but it's, it's been, it's been, it's been really interesting and fun. And um, I bought, I only bought lines that I was interested in uh, from a historical perspective or a fantasy perspective. And so everything uh, has been, uh, you know, additive from from that perspective. So it's kind of it's a job that's not really a job <laughs> from that perspective. And uh, it's been really interesting getting to know the different customers because I ask them about their projects. And and again, it kind of creates a little bit of a community there where you get to hear what rule systems they're using, what their project is, and 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 that's all that's all to the good too. So the the other thing was I hated to see these figures not be available because they are good figures but again people get tired eventually of, of of being in the business and want to move on so so that's kind of the so the, the 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 main line i think that would interest folks and so so from a kings of war perspective and mantic perspective uh, again I, I think you see their their um kind of market facing aspect that that really is is beneficial i think long term is this idea that they're not uh, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not driven by, it's not driven by, um, you know, by specific models other than to the extent that they need, they need to sell a certain number of them. Right. So, so they would, so they, if they emphasize that, that's fine, but, but people are, are able to make their own hobbying decisions. So if they don't like, you know, the elves, for example, I understand the elves are a little older and maybe people don't like those, some of those models that much, then they can, they can, source their own elves and uh and and then if they've got their old they can and they can also bring forward some of their old figures that they've painted so if they've got an elvish army already that they painted that's gw based then that then that's uh then that, that works too because the, the armies are so wide too it's hard it's hard for a figure figure manufacturer to have everything that you'd have in those army lists because there, there's so much so much variety that you can have so so one person's elvish army might look totally different than another elvish army in terms of so that, that again that 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 
improves the game, I think, in terms in terms of in terms of making it uh, that much more interesting. So, the, the the figures that we have that are fantasy oriented were sculpted by a guy named Colin Patton, who was one of the guys who started Gripping Beast, and and he's out there still sculpting. He's got a new company, and uh, and so they've been available. These figures have been available since the two thousands. And, uh, and they were sold under the name Vendel. So I'm keeping the Vendel name. So those are the Vendel figures. And, and so he, he sculpted a whole line of, uh, of fantasy Lord of, the, Lord of the Rings related figures. Of course, you couldn't call them that, but, but essentially they're classic figures. And, and the interesting thing about both the fantasy figures and the historical figures, the, the ancient figures that we have, uh, and the, the Border Reaver figures that I mentioned before, they're all meant for ranks and flanks type games. And so... And, and 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 this comes from a time when they were when when the kind of the standard, if you will, the ancient standard uh, that was also used for fantasy figures was a 60 millimeter wide base. So you can actually get four figures on a 60 millimeter wide base. Even if you're using the, the King Kings of War basing, you can actually get 10 figures on a troop base, and they don't look crowded at all. They're not the the heroic scale. Yeah, and and they're not and they're not in they're not in they're not in uh, in uh, particular. Um, poses that would make them hard to base up they're, they're easy to base up that way and uh and, and so that's that, that's an advantage that we have they're also all metal so i know people some people like the pl- plastic i think you're a fan of the plastic figures right i have a lot of experience with metal one piece models that are metal i, I don't think are too bad sometimes some of the bigger ones that are multi-piece metal they fall apart a little bit the monsters and stuff yeah those are those are kind of tough the, the models that you have they definitely have that old hammer aesthetic you like that yeah that classic ranks and flanks thing from the eighties and the nineties, you know, and again, it's one more option. Right. And I think there's a lot of fans for that aesthetic. And and I think when you have 29 different armies, right. And, and as you said, kingdoms of men that they're never going to make those. I mean, really the the variety that you can have within a kingdom of men's army is, is, you know, spans all of history, right. All of ancient and medieval history. So, so you can do, you have a lot of variation that you can, that you can do there. And, um, uh, so I think I think being open to alternative models again opens up things from a hobbying perspective, uh, and 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 allows people to do the things that they want to do. And so uh, so we would pro- we would provide an alternative for people in terms of you know we've got dwarves and elves, we've got halflings, we got men of the east, men of the west, hillmen, goblins, orcs, trolls, giants, wolf riders, uh, and then we and then uh, the the gentleman who owned. This line before I bought it, I bought it from him. Uh, Andy at Sergeant Major Miniatures. He had also started on the path of expanding that line, and so he had things like scarecrows and fire dwarves and bugbears and things like that. Again, kind of with this classic look. So, yeah, if you're classic Dungeon and Dragon like, tropes and stuff that are cla- yeah, exactly. classic fantasy tropes, which is yeah, so, always relevant. So these are these are the scarecrows that we have, you know, and I put them on a base uh, on a, on a regiment size base. You know, so I can get 12 on here, you know, but they're individually based. So I can take them off and use them for other things too. And uh, again, you know, so I I think when you get into the fantasy itself, you know, it's, it's not like Napoleonics where, you know, you could say, all right, well, they're missing those buttons or that's not the right hat or, you know, that's the bayonets on those things, you know, are bad or whatever. So it's, it's, it's more, does this meet the type of, you know, thing that I see in my mind, you know, when I'm thinking about a unit of scarecrows or a unit of dwarves, you know, so, uh, so I, I think that actually will, will be, will, will keep all the, all the fig, all the 
army types within Kings of War fresh in the sense that even if they haven't gotten to something for a while, it wouldn't preclude somebody from, you know, from, uh, you know, from coming up with their own kind of version of that. One of the distinctions I would make is, you know, pretty much every rule set is figure agnostic. I think the, 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 the what separates different games is the communities around it. So there are right. some communities that are very staunch against being figure agnostic. Um, I, I would say, well, infinity would be one that sticks out to me. I've never seen an infinity tournament where people will play with proxies. Like I'm not familiar with the rules, but maybe that's because mechanically you got to have the real model mm-hmm. playability standpoint. But then you look at something like Kings of War, where honestly, we just want you playing the game. Now, most people in the, in the community have armies that are mantic armies. And then they have other armies that are not. Man- I mean, I have, you know, several armies that are not mantic and I have some that are, and uh, I think it, it would be a disservice to me mentally if if I limited myself. Right. I'm a little different in that I don't mix and match within an army. So I have a halfling army. Well, it's kingdoms of half men, but it's always failure halflings. I, I want the same sculptor on it. You know, I want the same aesthetic on the whole line. I, I think I think most players, they're especially if you're talking STLs, right? Right. And, and figure ranges, plastics, metals. I mean, you mentioned you know, your line. There's just there's a lot of great stuff there. Do what you want. Make up your own story. Make up your own army. One thing I want to mention that I think is is kind of going to be our path going forward uh, with uh, Kings of War, and 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 then a couple of questions for you. I, I think in terms of where you see things going on this path, I really do think, and again, this ties back to some of the things that have been of interest to me in terms of bringing people into the hobby and education oriented. That the ambush game is a really great idea. And, and um, the difference between say a DBA type of game to bring people into the hobby versus, you know, versus an ambush army is that a, a two or three rank, you know, a, a um, this, this looks like a real unit, 10 figures on a, on, on a hundred millimeter base, the troop size, that looks like a real, a real unit. And so, you know, the, 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 the army, the ambush army building process creates something on a three foot by three foot table that looks substantial, you know, and I kind of, I kind of, the, the first year I ran uh, DBA tournaments at Adepticon, uh, I was in a bad, the, the lighting was bad and I had 15 millimeter figures, but I could also tell that as people were walking by, you know, there wasn't that same reaction that I would see at conventions with the 54 millimeter figures, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well, something's missing here. So the second year I upgraded the terrain I had these nice terrain boards and I, and I made it a tournament with chariot army. Oh so yeah. Everybody loves chariots. Everybody, everybody loves, loves chariots. Everybody loves elephants. Right? And so, so if you're going to do historical things, you want to get people interested in, in that warfare, you make it look substantial. But, but, but when there's four guys on a stand, that's your element unit. It's hard. It's hard to make that look, look. And, and, and so why did we start wargaming back in the, you know, when I started back in the sixties, why was the normal unit size like a small unit was 20? So 24 and 48 figures, those were the normal unit sizes. Well, because it looks like a unit <laughs> that you'd expect. You know, Now, proportionally and all the rest of that stuff, you can do all the math, but in your head, it's got to look right. It's got to look right. So when you see orcs go up against 20 dwarves, that looks like a real battle. That And, and then when somebody goes in on the flank, it feels right. And so I think that's what, you know, so a lot of this look and feel stuff uh, is is kind of baked into these rules. So I think at the ambush level, you get it enough of it, 
that uh, I think that can be a really successful way for Kings of War to get more people involved. And you can you can cater to the same thing that the DBA Triumph crowd caters to, which is you can build multiple armies. And so I don't have to, you know, the 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 the, the, the kind of the death march to get to twenty three hundred points, right? I'm only getting a seven fifty, right? So I can actually build three armies, right? <laughs> In the same, you know, three armies that can compete with each other, and I can use differently and kind of figure out which ones do I want to grow to twenty three hundred points. So there's there, there's a lot of uh, I, I know the, the Mantic folks seem excited about the, that process, and I, I think some I think I think ambush tournaments, one day ambush tournaments are gonna are gonna be a thing going forward. We'd like to participate in that and, and help the, and help grow things from that perspective that and 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 the fact that you know the uh the 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 uh the armada games are on the smaller side too i think those are both really good entry-level games both for the hobby itself but also for you know those game systems too we talked about some of the risks that the steps that mantic has, has done over the years you know originally their intro to kings of war was was, was vanguard yeah what it turned out was it legitimately is a skirmish game. I, I think I think I think we, we may end up evolving our terminology here more in line with what the military thinks about these things. So it's kind of like squad level versus battalion level. I think that's the way it'll turn out, you know, or company level. I mean, those are all the kind of ways that World War II rules get differentiated. And I think right. we probably evolved to that evolved to that too. And 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 different wars are different ways. I can tell you historically. In the Civil War, almost everything's regiments, right? And and because uh, that's that's the size of the battle, but th- and that just means that there's a lot of battles like that. But there are also like three thousand skirmishes that are documented, <laughs> and and those were all at, at the you know hundred guys or less type of you know type of level. And so that most most military combats even now are are at that smaller skirmish level. So that there may be something to be said for for that being the focus of our military and kind of also fitting in with games and and you're seeing a lot of good historical writing about that low level, uh, lower level conflict and, and, and what those things look like. And uh, they, they, they uh, can support the same kind of modeling that the big scales can too, the, the rank and flank games, but, but the rank and flank games do have a really nice feel to them and are impressive when people walk by and, 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 uh, and I think they are a way to, they definitely have a role in pulling people into the into the hobby, but they don't have to be the only thing people play, right? I mean, right on, on Countercharge, you guys are talking about all the different game systems, right? In the fantasy side, you know, Vanguard is a great game, but it's not an introduction to a ranks and flanks fantasy game, right? It's an introduction to the setting or the world, and I think yeah. what uh, what what Ambush hits is when you look at a game of Ambush, all it is is a sm- cut down version of the big game. Like the yeah. the units are a little bit smaller, the board is less, but mechanically it's exactly the same, you know. And to your point, I think there's a future there where we have ambush tournaments where people show up with a 950 point list and they can play five right. or six games. Because I mean, you can play in a weeknight, you can get two or three games in. Yeah, you know, if both people know how to play the game, it's 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 pretty quick. Yeah, and I think I think that's what I've seen with the the the, the folks that that do the triumph game. What they were able to do with the DBA game itself, a, a game that you can play in an hour, hour and 15 minutes, is you can build very thematic campaigns in a day type of things or in a half a day. And I, and so I think I think because um, all of us are seeking the narrative aspects to go along, particularly when you go through the process of creating an army. You know, so you're, let's take your Salamander army, for example. You've got the very thematic 
building set and everything like that. So what's the, you know, what's the elevator pitch for, for that army in terms of what it's, what it's all about. So the elevator pitch for my army is that it's raided, raided a city along the edge of a river. The, the lizards are coming over the river and over the village and their things are on fire. And at the the heart of any good army, you have that, that hook, you have that elevator pitch that says there, there's something that, that inspires you. And that's what gets you started. And then from there it snowballs. When I started Warhammer fantasy, my, my, my idea was I, I was just obsessed with the Hobbit and watching that, the, the, the cartoon and Thranduil and the, and the, and the glimmering cloak. I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta have some wood elves. I've got to have some wood elves. You, you figure out how to, what's in your head. You figure out how to make that work on the table. Yeah. You know, I think the important thing is whatever it takes to get you to the table and to be able to experience games, whether it's Kings of war or something else, the social aspect can't be understated for me. It is that experience of taking the army to the game store, setting up the table, having that social contract with that player. Here's the rule set we're going to use. We're going to play this many points. Let's have a, let's, let's set up the table. Let's uh, roll up a scenario. Let's have a great game and win or lose. I always come out feeling refreshed, like, oh, man, that was amazing. Right. And you come away with those cinematic memories of do you remember that time when dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah. We would be remiss, though, if we didn't mention Drew Gaddy, because I know somewhere in that Kings of War story, Drew Drew Gaddy is an infamous Kings of War player. Is he really? Okay. One of the filthiest guys I know. (laughs) Right. And, And ironically, it's my fault because I ran NashCon. I don't know, 2016 maybe, and Drew showed up, and you know, Drew obviously was running Siege of Augusta, and, and which is a sister site to a sister event to to Nashcom. I was like, "Hey, Rob, oh, it is okay." So he's like, "What is this? What is this thing?" I was like, "Well, this is Kings of War." He's like, "Well, would you show me a game?" And only that Georgia accent, you know, that he would deliver in that that Southern Georgia uh, vernacular, and he loved it. And the next thing you know, he's the biggest proponent. He he made he's made the Masters team before. Really? Times, I think. So I've not met Drew yet. Oh, you've not met Drew. He reached out to me last year uh, in the in the in the in the summer, and said, "Would you mind providing, you know, support for the ADLG and the Kings of War tournament?" And again, I, even though I had seen these Kings of War, I didn't know enough about it to really understand it. But I but I knew he had twenty four people playing. Right. <laughs> and so I was thinking, well, that's that's quite a few players, and. I had also kind of figured out that all the things that I could possibly do to get people interested in our figures was to just give figures away. <laughs> it's funny how you end up with that. Cause I think that's a solution and you don't have to give away a lot. No, you just got to give them a little taste. Like, Hey, right. this is what we're about. This is the quality that we have. Yeah. There's going to be a portion of the community out there that it really resonates with them. Maybe it tugs on the nostalgia strings from, you know, playing, take your pick chainmail in the seventies or, or something in the eighties, but there's other people that just, they just like that aesthetic. It is a, it is a classic aesthetic. Right. Well, that's, that's the thing is that, I mean, I know cause I'm old. Yeah. I'm 67, but, but for God's sakes, you know, these figures are only 20 years old, so they're not really old. It's just, yeah. our hobby is, is just so sucked into the commercialism of newness Cult of the and new, that's, and that's and that's even true on the historical. You think the historical people would be more, you know? But but uh, in, in the Dragon Rampant uh, game system, uh, Dan Mercy has a nice little call out where you get more victory points if you have a unit with figures that are from pre nineteen eighty. I think it's, it's oh his, wow, his deadline. So so it's kind of a nice little nice little homage to the you know to the roots or whatever. But um, 
but yeah, so I, the, the, the other thing that's happened, I think, in, in figures themselves is that oftentimes the detail is driven to such extremes because you've got these guys like Ninjan who spend 10 hours painting one figure and speed painting is two hours on a figure, right? And so, so you're, you're, you really are getting to a point where the art is elevated, which is great. I was a member was of the Military Miniatures Society of Illinois, and that's all they do is paint beautiful figures and their, their and, and, and their work and their works of art. But, you know, I want to play with the toys, <laughs> you know, and, and I want to, and I want to have nice toys and that's a whole different, that's a whole different painting process. And so a lot of times, you know, I, I, I would, I would argue that, that we may have already figured out what is the level of detail that supports really good rank and flank type armies. And, and Mantic may even find this in their own, you know, in their own process where, and, and I think in the 3D printing process, you know, again, driving these details, if you're, if you just have one figure in a skirmish, you know, army, then you can have all those extra details and you can take all the time to kind of figure out how to paint them. But if you want to paint up whole armies, it's helpful to have figures that paint up easily. And I can tell you that everybody that's painted our figures comments on how much fun it was to paint. And I'm sure that part of the reason it was fun was, they got them done <laughs> and they got yeah. through it. Well, you're making so. a very important distinction there, which is there's a difference between a figure painter and an army painter. And, you know, sometimes it's lost, you know, you mentioned Mantic, but you know, if you compare Mantic to, to GW, right. There's nothing wrong with the GW aesthetic, right? Like it, they're, they're great looking figures, but for me personally, there's too much detail on there. I don't want to paint the sashes on every single, right. I mean, at some point, you you do need to compromise the aesthetic so that I can get this army to the table and not spend yeah. two years painting. So I, I have, I have a good example of that. Our troll or ogre. Yeah. I, I'm like, I can't remember what, which, which category this guy is in, but, but we think that he kind of looks like Mo from the three stooges. He does. He's got the haircut. Yeah. So so he's got the character, but he's a really super simple figure to paint, and he's got a little bit of a gut there or whatever, right? So, so we are, by the way, I, I have engaged a couple good, um, uh, a couple good uh, sculptors, and uh, so I've got some new figures coming, uh, mostly to fit in that same kind of Lord of the Rings type aesthetic. But, but I did decide that I needed uh, Mo and Curly to go with, or, or I needed I needed Larry and Curly to go with to go with That's Mo fantastic. here. So there's a couple more of these guys coming. Bill, what's the best way for folks to follow what you guys are working on at TNR figures? So as, as an old IT guy, the least interesting thing as, as, a, as, a, as a retired accountant and IT guy is to work on the website. Uh, so so it's out there and and hopefully I'll get a chance after this last wedding to, uh, to get it up and running here before the end of the year, maybe in time for Christmas orders and such. But But right now, I get a lot out of, of doing things just by email. So uh, if you go to Facebook. The links in the show notes to the official Facebook group. It turns out for whatever reason, Facebook being a poor place for business, <laughs> I find there there is a there's a, a kind of a front-facing website, Thistle and Rose Miniature Figures, and then there's an official website. And on the official website, which is more of a group thing, you can join or you don't have to, it doesn't matter. But there are files in there that have all, all the current price lists. And, and I'm going to add some things and update those in the next couple of weeks. So there'll be new price lists and such, but, uh, but they're basically the same ones that I, I had sent to you, Rob, and, and happy to, and, and if you want to pass those around, absolutely. That works too. And, um, but yeah, so the emails are great because then people send me the orders 
I cast up the figures. I sent them an invoice. Payments through PayPal. Casting them yourself? Yes. Where, where Liberty Hobby Center is at, I, ha- I have the back set up for the, the couple hundred molds that I have and all the, you know, all the, the machinery that I use to cast, which is just the typical, typical spin caster. I, we use pewter. So it's all, it's all good stuff in terms of, in terms of, um, you know, no lead content or anything like that. And, uh, and, you know, just like the old commercial from uh, Burger King, special orders don't upset us. So, you know, I, I've got them set up in, in packs and, and groupings and stuff like that. But if you want something different, I'm, I'm more than able to accommodate that. So that's that's kind of that's kind of where we're at. So but again, Rob, thanks very much for the opportunity to, to come on and, and, and chat. And, and as you indicated, we would probably get, come to a net, kind of a natural conclusion here. And it was great to just hear your perspective as a long time war gamer and obviously your new newer perspective of being a, a figure owner right which is yeah. you know it, it, it's it's always interesting to hear when you have folks that are making figures that don't have a game right and there's m- way more of them than the people that have figures and a game that's right it's a weird industry that we're in where we have people that just make rules like the daniel mercies of the world right the joe mccullough's and then you've got the people that just make figures, yourself included. There's a, there's less of those folks in the middle that are going to try to make rules and their own figures because it, it you know, it, you know what? It's, it's interesting. It's very few companies can pull it off where you can make, you know, you're either a figure company or you're a rules company, right? And it's difficult to do both. What, one of the things that, so historically people have done the things that they're good at doing. So, uh, Ivor, uh, he did a Civil War magazine for a while, and then he's got his brother against brother rules, and but they're really they're really horse and musket type rules, you know, at the, at the large skirmish level, and so he, you can do any any of those kind of games with that, and and um, the, the 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 number of the, the, I think what people found from a figure perspective was that if you can show people how to use the figures, you know, and that's that's kind of the beauty of what. Games Workshop has been able to do. They say, here's the figures, here's the game that goes with it, and it's bundled together, right? And it's proportionally correct. You don't have to do all the math to kind of figure it out, right? And 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 uh, you know, sell, and and it's genius to sell both sides, you know. And so you know, you see you see it these smaller ambush uh, size boxes. People are saying, well, can I can I actually play a game of ambush, you know, with the figures that are in this box? You know, well, hopefully somebody thought about that. But again. Development wise, maybe they didn't quite, or you know, maybe you're almost there. But certainly, that worked out with the uh, w- you know with the Armada game. You know, you can get a game going, a balanced game, uh, you know, with with what's in the box. And so, I think people want more of that to get things started. And and uh, so that's kind of where we're at in terms of do it yourself versus you know have it more of that stuff provided to you. And I think that's just that's just where things are at from a market perspective these days. And 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 it'll continue, I think, to go in that in that direction. But there's lots of opportunities, I think, for for people to do interesting things, you know, on on the edge and on the side. And and uh, once people get it once people get a taste of the hobby, I think they do want to do more of their own thing, both from a hobbying perspective and a rules perspective and game perspective too. As we get farther into this thing, this thing of life, you know, making things more accessible is never a bad thing, right? Like no. making it easier to, to lower the the barrier of entry, right? And, right. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, a lot of people, games work, there's a lot of things Games Workshop has done right in that regard. And you know what? Yep. Let's copy it. Let's emulate it. That's what you do with successful companies. You Absolutely. That's how competition happens. Yeah. 
Well, Bill, well, I appreciate the time. We'll have to get you back on. I do. I do want to explore a little bit more with you. Uh, there's, there's a couple topics. One of them is, you know, this, 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 uh, we, we call it the graying aging out of the hobby kind of thing. And I would love to get your take on it. Cause obviously you have a historical perspective that, yeah. uh, that I don't have because it's something that, that does concern us, right? Like if you look at the TOs and the people attending tournaments, we are a, an older demographic than what we were seeing in Warhammer. Hmm. Maybe there's something we can learn from the past. It's definitely a topic topic that I that I would love to pick your brain on. And then obviously building communities. You guys have got this Liberty yeah. Hobby Center that I, I love I love following the Facebook posts and all the crazy yeah. games you guys are playing. How you build a board that's got all this naval, all this water and these islands and these forts. And it's like today we're playing, you know, some fantasy, you know, naval engagement using uh you know, uh, Armada rules. And then the next day you turn around and here's your ironclads. And it's the same terrain. I, I love yeah. it. I think and using, and using a three page rule set that was in a magazine from like 1983. <laughs> I mean, that's perfect though. Right. Because yeah. well, your yeah. rules don't get in the way, you know, they, they don't get in the way. They, they're just, they're just the vehicle. Yeah. We, we always talk about how we, we, we like to break rules. <laughs> Break rule systems. That's that's we our group kind of thinks of, our, of ourselves that way. We're, we're gonna, you give it to us. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna stretch it and we're gonna break it. And uh, so that probably doesn't help Ebor get the second edition of Brother Against Brother out. But 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 it probably it does. It is something that we like to do, and it, it is fun. And I think it does engage another part of the creative process when you get to when you get to uh, when you get to do that. What other of conventions are you planning to hit this year? Well, I usually do Rod's convention at FlintCon. Uh, that's a that's a fundraiser for the school that he's currently supporting and working at. Um, and but we we've been kind of uh, not doing too many conventions, mainly because I need to still get the website up, and there's some other things I'm, I'm doing internally. Once you get that up, the gates are going to open up. That's exactly right. And if you're and if you're a one man show. You got to have everything ready to go. Yeah, and I, and 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 um and I do think that we have been supporting the Triumph rule system. We'll still we'll still support that going forward, but we know we need to break out. Like as you mentioned, we we our figures can be used in a lot of different game systems. Well, you have a lot of fancy stuff it can be used for anything. One one of the one of the things I'm going to be doing uh we'll be doing and you'll see it on our on our website going forward is that I think using the same figures for multiple game systems. Uh, is is a thing that's 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 coming. So you'll see some posts coming up where we're using our 15 millimeter Thistle and Rose figures, you know, to do. Uh, you see, the, the same figures are based up to play uh, DBA or Triumph. You can use those same figures uh, just by marking casualties for uh, a skirmish level game like Lion Rampant. And so when you think about the totality of war number of big battles are, are is relatively small compared to all the other actions that are out there so if you can use the same figures you know across multiple game systems everybody else is going to play more and have more fun and learn more about the history and again it's accessibility right if you have to paint less figures right because they're flexible and can be used in these different game systems in these different scales 15 millimeter models too. Uh, you know, I've seen people in the past play regular Kings of War with 10 millimeter models. Yeah, so we, we actually are going to take some of our some of the 15 millimeter figures that we have, and we have some 15 millimeter fantasy figures. We're going to re- rebase them for a half size Kings of War because we figure that's a good, really good travel way to take it someplace and show somebody on a two by two board how to play the game. So, uh, and you know, one of the things about fantasy that's so great is you can have like 
you know, uh, you know, the scorch wings or the dragons or the big creatures and, uh, and magic. And, you know, a, a lot of time in, in the Lord of the Rings world, magic is pretty, uh, you know, uh, minimal in terms, in terms of the effect on the actual battles themselves. So the right. battle of five armies, for example, you know, there's not much, there, there's not a whole lot of magic. It's brute force. Uh, it's much more like a dark age battle until the eagles show up you know, so. exactly. well, you know they, they always ask the question why did the, why do the eagles always show up late they can make these stores go a lot faster why didn't they just carry frodo to the mountain it's, right it's like, it's like it's like when the cavalry shows up right? it's the same it's the same kind of dramatic uh, uh thing that's created there so but but so i think uh you know one of the advantages of coming from that you know, games workshop, you know, derivative fantasy type uh, world, I think you do have a lot more opportunities to have creatures and different, you know, components of, of racial things. I think the, I think the Northern Alliance, whoever came up with that idea deserves a bonus because being able to combine all the different, you know, uh, troop types, that's a fantastic idea. It's like a hippie commune in a fantasy setting. <laughs> you got half elf berserkers, you've got dwarves, you've got elves. <laughs> You've and got chill. human tribesmen, and they're all together. They're all chill. They're all cool. <laughs> right. Oh, Bill. Bill, I appreciate the time. It was a really pleasure to finally get to chat, to have this chat that we've been talking about since March. Yeah. And we'll have to do it again real soon. All right. Pretty good. Well, that's going to do us tonight. And until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.